Well, what I want to do is uh, turn our attention uh, to God's Word, if we can. And, um, and so if you uh, have a copy of Scripture, you can go ahead and take that out, and um, uh, you can uh, open up. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews, and so Hebrews chapter uh, 2 is where we are at uh, this morning. Um, if you were here last week, uh, many of you um, know that uh, I was um, down with our church plant in uh, Monroe last week, and so pleased to report that things are continuing to grow and just develop there, and uh, met some new faces, saw some familiar ones, and so it was great to be able to uh, spend the morning with them and, and uh, open up God's Word there. Blake was uh, down in Texas and building some partnerships and relationships down there, and so um, just, uh, yeah, continue to pray for Redemption Church in Monroe, and it was um, a little surreal, too. That was my first time I had you know attended the launch service, but that was my first time preaching there, and so the kids were with me, and if you know my story, I grew up in Monroe. I went to that uh, middle school. It was a junior high at the time, right? So it was a little surreal to um, sit in the same place that I had taken classes and uh, watched all sorts of plays or, or you know, programs, and then to stand there in that place and then preach um, some 25 whatever years uh, later. So um, anyways, it was a great time uh, to be uh, with, uh, with them. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in Hebrews, and we're picking up right where uh, Pastor Jeff left off. I'm so thankful for Pastor Jeff and the way that he faithfully um, uh, preached uh, the passage before, but we're going to begin in uh, verse 5. And one of the things that we're going to see as we continue on through um, Hebrews is the author is developing this theme. And, and my guess is you've already picked up on it, but I just want to make it kind of crystal clear. If I could just kind of shine a little bit of a light on this theme that is going to be developed as we continue through Hebrews. And that is this. There's all these phrases that say, um, you know, set your eyes on Jesus, fix your attention on Jesus, consider Jesus. And the author continually, what he's doing with this group of uh, believers uh, that were discouraged, uh, many of them disheartened, some of them um, in a place of uh, even despondency or um, maybe uh, you know, a little disenfranchised, kind of flip, slipping away or considering slipping away from the church or from the faith. Uh, the author here, as he's writing to them, he says, hey, fix your eyes on Jesus. Uh, set your eyes on him and, and look to him and who he is. And so as we've been beginning now, we're a few weeks into this series, we've just seen a better and better, uh, brighter picture of who Jesus is. And this morning is um, just the same. Uh, he's going to continue to develop this theme of what it means to look to Jesus. And uh, as he continues to build on the point that he's making in chapter 3 of verse 1, he says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And so, church, that is what we want to do this morning, is we want to look to Jesus. That's the title of the, the sermon this morning. And, and as we do, what we're going to see in our passage is just four pictures of who Jesus is. And, and just to continue to develop out um, more of our, uh, just a robust understanding of, of who this Jesus is that we follow. And, and there's some kind of unique uh, pictures that we have in our passage uh, this morning. So hopefully you have a copy of scripture. Let's, let's begin in verse five. You can follow along as I read it here. It says this, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, uh, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower, uh, for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection 
under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. As I said, we're going to see as we walk through this passage four uh, pictures of Jesus. The first picture that we see here is our caring king. Thank you very much. Um, the, uh, I don't know that it's going to do much difference, but I'm really grateful that you gave it to me. Um, we'll try and see um, if it, uh, I don't think it changes anything. How's that? Is my much better? Yeah, so much better. It's really good. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, what we see here is our caring king, uh, Jesus, is, is presented here. It says in verse 9 that, that he was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. And so I think to understand um, just this position of kingship over us, we have to kind of you know, unpack the verses leading up to it. Back in verse 5, he continues, you know, we've been talking about angels for the last few weeks. Um, it, it, we're going to move on from angels. This is one of the um, last times that we uh, do, but he's developing this theme. He says, it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Right? So in the, in the, in the age to come, it's not going to be the angels who are ruling. And then he quotes, and he says that it's been testified somewhere. Now, I think this, is, um, this translation could be a little bit tighter. Um, I, I think you could use the word, it's been te- testified in a certain place, because we know exactly where this comes from. This is Psalm 8 that he's quoting, okay? So it's not like somewhere, like, I don't know where. Like, he's, he's word for word quoting Psalm 8. And so it's been testified in a certain place, in a specific place, Psalm 8. He says this, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. This is about us, okay? This is about you and me. And uh, the Psalm 8 begins, it says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name. And that whole Psalm, it's only nine verses, but Psalm 8 speaks to just the, the, the majesty and the, the bigness of who uh, God is. And then kind of asks what I think is a right question. Who are we, right? Who are we that we, you are mindful of us? It's right, if, if you had just this little ant collection that you were so kind of all about and kind of pouring into, and maybe you do, I don't know. I, um, I, I'm not aware of this. I don't think I'm stepping on toes here. But, but, you know, it would be a right question for an ant to like look at you gazing into this little, you know, home and just ask you like, who, are, who am I that you are mindful of me and caring about me, right? Like, like that you get this sense when you understand the, big, the bigness of who God is, who are we that the Lord would be mindful of us. But notice, God has a plan for men and women. For a little while, he made us lower than the angels. That's what verse 7 says. It's still talking about us. He made us lower than the angels, but he has crowned us with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection to under his feet. This is what Psalm 8 says. But now, uh, the, the, the author unpacks and kind of, you know, I think states the obvious. Sometimes scripture has to do that for us. Look at the second part of verse eight. It says, now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Still talking about us, right? So we're over everything. At the present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Okay, that is um, 
very uh, kind of understated, obvious statement there. I think we could all agree, right? We don't need to have a debate or um, you know, uh, present arguments for, uh, for discussion. I think we would all agree that the world does not feel like it's under our feet. True? Right? Because there's so many things that are outside of our control. I mean, national, natural disasters alone um, have taken uh, just an incredible amount of lives over the last century. Right? We, we, we see uh, the, where, where man tends to put his energy and effort, like it, it kind of has a way of sort of breaking down or causing uh, more problems. Now, that's not to say that we haven't seen improvements, right? Some of the technological advancements, some of the things that we experience, certainly, but there's still so much that, that seems like we don't control it, that we, we are not over it. And so the idea is, is that someday everything's going to be under our feet. That's kind of the picture, right? The king or those who are crowned are, are above uh, those who aren't. And so it's kind of under the feet. There's this place of honor and worthy. It's just an interesting thing to think about. You know, the person sitting next to you, you can just look at them and just be like, someday they're going to rule. They're going to reign. They're gonna, if they know Jesus, they are going to have things subject to, the, to, to them under their feet. All of us. That, yeah, even you. Like we, we are all in this place uh, together. If you are in Jesus, this is the future, you will be crowned with glory and everything will be put, but that's not the case that it is yet. And then it turns the attention to Jesus, verse nine. But we see him, speaking of Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, okay? So in verse nine, it switches. It's not talking about us anymore. It's talking about Jesus. For a little while, he was made lower than the angels, but now he's crowned with glory because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. See, here's what we have to understand about our king. Our king cares for us. And I think one of the things that, that maybe the book of Hebrews, I don't know if you've been experiencing this or feeling this yet, but you get a few chapters into it, and you see the loftiness of who God is, and then it feels like, man, God is so amazing, but, but, but it, can he really relate with me? Does he really care about me? Is he involved or engaged in my life? And what we see here is that he is, King Jesus set aside all the things that were due him as God, right? Laying aside um, his heavenly place, he descended to earth. He was made a little lower than angels for a little while, and then he suffered death. Why? So that he could taste death for everyone. He's a king who cares, you know, it's interesting, um, you've probably seen some of these too, but there's um, these social experiments that happen, right? Um, we have kind of cameras everywhere, so it's not hard to capture, but, um, you know, they'll, they'll uh, kind of set up a scenario where someone is on a train or maybe on the public street or in a public place, and they get bullied or uh, maybe called, um, you know, called some names or kind of abused a little bit. Maybe it's a worker or somebody just kind of random, Right. And then sometimes these social experiments are put, it's kind of like it's, it's a, a made-up situation, but they're recording it to see what people respond, how people respond watching this. Because the question is like, well, if people see this, like, are they going to say something? Are they going to do something? Are they going to step up and act? And sometimes you see, you know, various results. Sometimes you see people that um, kind of just pretend like it's not, you know, happening, and they just kind of keep walking away. Others like sort of step in, they're like, hey, you can't say that, you can't do that, you gotta treat, you know, and they try and uh, insert themselves into uh, the situation. I bring that up to just say that, that one thing we have to understand about our king is that he is not on some throne, high and lofty, removed from us, 
and then uninvolved with what's happening here. He sees and is intimately aware of exactly what you face right now, this morning. He knows what's on your plate. He knows what you are anxious about. He knows what concerns you. He knows what stressed you out this week. He knows the burdens that are ahead of you, and he cares. See, he's not one of those who's just kind of avoiding it and pretending like it's not happening. He's stepping into the situation of our life. Do you see that? That's what Jesus did when he came. For a little while, he set aside his crown of glory and honor, and he suffered death so that he might taste death for everyone. This is where we are reminded it is by the death of Jesus that we are set free from death. It's through the grace of God that we might receive the power over death for eternity. That's what Jesus purchased on the cross. That's what his death earned or achieved for us. And so we see this picture of him as a caring king. If you're taking notes, let me give you the second picture and then I'll show it to you in scripture. It comes from verse 10. It's this. He's our caring king, but he's also our conquering hero. Our conquering hero. It says, for it was fitting for that while he, for whom and by all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. I want to zero in on, if I could kind of um, uh, you know, put a magnifying glass on that word, uh, founder. That's, that's where we get this word hero. Uh, there's lots of ways that we can translate it. Some of your um, uh, versions, if you have a different version from ESV, it might say champion or captain. Um, I really like the word hero. It's a conquering hero. There's a, there's a, um, a victory that is associated with this. And so founder, um, certainly, it's, it's where all things kind of stem from and begin. But, but more than that, he earned or sort of achieved uh, this. He was the champion. He's the deliverer. He's the captain. And so oftentimes in, in, in uh, antiquity, what would happen between two warring armies to kind of save all of the death and all of the uh, kind of loss of life, they would often choose uh, two representative uh, warriors to, to fight it out. We see this, uh, the, the kind of most clear picture I can think of from Scripture is David and Goliath, right? Like the Philistine army was attacking Israel, and they sent forth their champion, their hero, was Goliath, and he was a monster. He was a massive guy, and, and, and everyone was standing back and like, I'm not taking him on. Like, I'm not, I'm not fighting him. And then you have young David who shows up uh, bringing some provisions for his brother. And he hears the words being spoken by Goliath. And he's like, why is nobody fighting this guy? He's like, God's on our side. Did you guys forget that? He's like, let me go. And Saul's like, okay, if you're going to go, take my armor. He's like, that doesn't fit me. And so he, he just takes five stones and he goes out and he, t- he battles against this, this warrior. And what's happening there? It's these two warriors on behalf of the army um, fighting in, 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 in their place. And so David wins. God gives him favor and he defeats Goliath. And then what happens? The Philistines take off because they've won. They've defeated um, the, uh, the Israelites have defeated the Philistines. In the same way here, Jesus is our founder. He is our champion. He is our hero. And he's representing us in the work that he is doing. 
In the same way that David represented the people of God, here we have Jesus representing us. Let me read it again with that context in mind. It says, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by all things exist, right? We looked at that week one. All things, all of creation exists for and by and through Jesus. So Jesus is over all things and he's bringing many sons to glory. And there, because of that, he should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. How is Jesus made perfect through suffering? Isn't, isn't he already God? Like, isn't he already perfect? It's not perfect in the sense that um, he's getting better as a result of this, but perfect in the sense that he's realizing that which he came to do. It was his suffering that achieved this hero status, this, this victory, this conqueror, and what he took on and what he did. And one thing you have to understand that Jesus did is he was willing to put himself between us and the judgment that we were due. You know, we look around and it is easy to, to kind of question, man, why is the world the way that it is? And Genesis 3 tells us it, it's, it's the way that it is because it's broken, it's marred, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's off kilter, it's, it's, it's not, not everything is right. And so a lot of times the things that we experience, the things that we uh, endure are things that we are deserving of, right? We rejected our king. We rejected God's law and his rule over us. And so the difficulties that you and I face are ultimately, not, 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 not always in specific, but ultimately because of this world rejecting him. And so what Jesus is doing is he, he sees the, 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 the judgment that's due and he's gonna put himself in between the trouble, in between the thing, and he's gonna take it on himself. He is our hero. I was thinking about this concept of kind of coming between danger and, and, and us. And, and uh, you know, sometimes I share stories to just kind of help, help unpack or help us to relate to, you know, what that might have uh, looked like. And I don't have many stories where I've been the hero, um, but I did think of one. And uh, this is kind of a legend in the Jacobson house because our oldest daughter, Ellie, when she was born, I've told this story to some of you before, but when she was born, we took her home from the hospital. We were getting ready. We wanted to go on our first walk. Some of you that have kids, you remember maybe your first family walk. And so we had like all the bells and whistles, like everything was loaded up, right? Like now we go on a family walk and if it was a baby, it's just like picking up the baby, like having a couple of Cheerios and you're like, let's go. You know, it's like, but that we had like the stroller, we had everything kind of loaded down, ready to go. And so we're, we're setting off on this walk. Well, we didn't get too far from our house and there was this fox that was just making this crazy ruckus and it looked like it had just crawled out of a washing machine. I'm telling you, this was like for sure the rabid animal, something had happened to him. He, he had a chip on his shoulder and he was gonna take it out on us. And so we're walking and so here I am with my wife and my brand new like week old baby and, and there's a fox not 20, 30 feet from us and he has got his like eyes set on us and he is coming for us. And he's just like, he's, yeah, I, I couldn't, I, I like making the sound, I couldn't do it. That would take me over the top. So I'm not gonna make the sound for you. But he, if you've ever heard a fox, like they sound like a crying baby. I mean, it is, it is shrill, it is loud, it is this whole thing. And so he starts running at us. And I'm like, what am I gonna do? Like my family's here. And so I say, Bree, Start walking the other way. And so I step up and I kind of put myself between and this fox is just running at us. And I'm like, 
okay, here we go. Let's go. Like I didn't, I didn't know this morning when I woke up, I was going to like fight with a fox, but that's what I'm doing. And so I just backed up. I'm wearing flip-flops, mind you, carrying a camera. I'm telling you, I had all this stuff. I just backed up and this fox is coming. And you know what I did? Boom. I just kicked it as hard as I possibly could. And he like rolled over and he looked at me. He's like, did that just happen? I'm like, yes, it just happened. You're messing with my family. Right? And so he gets up and he kind of gets his like kind of, and he starts coming at me again. You know what I do? Back up, same thing again. I'm like, that worked pretty well the first time. I'm going to do it again. Bam! I just kicked the fox. And he, this time he's like, oh man, I'm not messing with this guy. And he like runs off into the woods. Okay? And we just like looked at each other. And we're like, what just happened? Like, what was that? Now, to kind of, you know, I'll just fill in a couple of the stories. It's not important for our story, but just so you kind of know, I got home and was looking at my, you know, just inspecting, like, did I get scratched? Did I get bit? Anything. There was a little kind of broken piece of skin on one of my toes. I think he may have, like, nipped at me, like, as I was. So I went and had to get rabies treatments because of this little tiny broken skin. Other than that, I was fine. Like, I was feeling pretty good, you know, at that moment. Like, I was like, I just kicked a fox, man. Like, I just, I saved my family. Why do I tell you that story? Because in that moment, there wasn't any, like I didn't have to like think about it. I didn't have to consult Bree. Like my fatherly instincts kicked in. I'd been a dad for all of a week. And I was like, there ain't no way I'm letting this fox mess with my new baby girl, right? And I stepped in and I was willing to do whatever it took to take on this fox. There was no way that fox was getting to my family. Again, I share that story just to say, I mean, Jesus, you have to picture and understand he's our conquering hero. He sees, he sees the effect that sin has had on the world. And he's like, hey, men, women have been made in my image. He loves us. He loves you. And as a father, the God the Father, he sent his son to stand between us and sin and to take that place and to to be the conquering hero, to, to earn and to achieve the victory that only could be achieved through them. I mean, there was nothing, right? There was nothing that my little girl could have done to save herself. It was only in that moment relying fully on me to save her. In the same way, there is nothing that you and I can do, but Jesus took on, he suffered so that he could save. And he's our conquering hero this is the second picture that we have. He continues on in verse 11. Let me read that verse. It says this, For he who sanctifies and those who he sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He calls us his brothers or sisters. We call him brother. And that's our third picture. It's this. It's he's our loving brother. This word doesn't get used a whole lot to describe our relationship with Jesus, but it's so fitting. Again, I think it's so easy for us to put him in kind of the lofty, far out there category. And here he's reminding us that he is not ashamed to call us his family. He's adopted us and he's brought us into his family. It goes on, verse 12, it says, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise we don't often think of that, right? Jesus is not only not ashamed of us, but he's, he's claiming us as his. And he's singing our praise. Are you kidding me? Like, why, 
Why would he be singing our praise? That's our job. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God have given to me. You see, the thing is, is that there is this affection toward, from the Lord toward us that I think we sometimes forget. It's in the same way that, that a family member would claim the family. Some of you remember back to those awkward years of, of middle school. Uh, like I said, I was just preaching in Redemption Church, so I was like weird walking through those halls and remembering that. I remember being like so embarrassed by my parents sometimes, right? Like I'm like, it just, they, they, did, they didn't have to do anything. And it was like, oh my goodness, dad, like what are you doing? Mom, like, you know, it's like so embarrassed, right? And I was like, I didn't want to claim them. I didn't want to. And now I'm that dad. Like my, my kids, my poor kids, right? They're, they're like going up to school. I'm like yelling stuff or calling out or we'll be at games and I'm like making, you know, noise or whatever. They're like, dad, stop it. You know, it's like they don't always want to claim me as dad, okay? They're, sometimes they're, they're ashamed. They're ashamed. And I, I kind of make light of it, but, but the truth is this, is that I think oftentimes we look at and we know our own hearts, right? We know our own choices, we know our own posture toward God, and we might be tempted to say, God, why would you claim me? Right? What have I done? But look at what he says. It says he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and in blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Just reminding us yet again, like Jesus isn't doing this for the angels. He's doing it for the offspring of Abraham. He's doing it for the offspring of, of Adam, of Noah. He's doing it for us. That's what he's doing right now. And I think we just need to understand, you know, if, if there's one thing that this kind of point, you know, draws us toward is this, is that our God is not far off. He is our loving brother. He's close. Because I think it's so easy, again, to have this picture of him lofty and high, but we forget that he is drawn near to us. And that he calls us his family. And he looks at us in this way. And he does this, again, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he's achieved, right? Through death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and he's delivered us from the fear of death and from our lifelong slavery. He has earned this, he's achieved this, he's done this on our behalf, and therefore he calls us brother. I want to show you this last picture and then kind of tie it all together. Look at verse 17. It says, it's therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Lastly, we see this, that he is an, our understanding priest. We're going to return to this picture of priest we've already talked about in the series. We're going to continue. I mean, priest is brought up in, I think, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Uh, we see it again in chapter 
uh, 8, chapter 9. I mean, it's, we're going to see this, this idea of priests. So I don't want to, you know, we're not going to get into all of it now. We'll have plenty of time for that later as we continue to go through. But the thing that I want us to see here about his priesthood, notice is that he's been made like us in every respect. What does that mean? Well, that means that he was fully man. And so in the same way that you and I get tired, right? Again, just being honest, I know you hear it in my voice. I'm tired this morning. I want to be, I'm excited about this passage we have, but I'll, I'll just be honest, like physically, I feel it this morning. Like I'm like, man, this is a, if I had a sick day, I would, I would take it today. Like this is the day that I would, I would be doing that. We feel that. Jesus did too. Like he woke up sick. He had struggles. He was tired. At times, like he, he, I'm sure like the disciples and others, we see him, I mean, kind of like um, he handled it better than us, but, but they would have been like annoying and gotten on his nerves, right? Like he was picked on by his family, his brothers growing up. He felt lonely. He felt isolated. I'm sure there were times that, again, like, it wasn't always straightforward what he was doing. I mean, he would go and spend time with his father. Why? So that he could get wisdom and understanding and knowledge. He was burdened for the, the, the pain that he saw around him. I mean, we see him all the time looking at the needs and, and so many things around him, and he was, he was heartbroken over it. Like, he experienced true sorrow and sadness. Again, sometimes I think we think of Jesus as God, but we forget to remember or forget to think of him as man. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. See, because Jesus became a man, it helps us in a few ways. What that means, because Jesus became a man, we go to a God who understands and is merciful. It says that he himself suffered when tempted. He was tempted like us. We're going to come to this again later. But in the same way that you and I are tempted, Jesus was tempted as well. And so as you're praying to Jesus, as you're praying to God, understand that he knows what it feels like to be tempted. He knows what it feels like to be hurt, to be alone, to be discouraged, to be disappointed be abandoned, to be mocked, to be abused, to be taken advantage of, to be misunderstood. I mean, all these things that we go to him and we don't, we're not praying to someone who doesn't understand. He knows he suffered loss. Furthermore, it says that because we go to him, he suffered when tempted, he's able to help us Help those who are being tempted. We go to a God who doesn't contemn, but is able to help. He's not wagging his finger and being like, man, I can't believe you did that again. I can't believe that's the spot that you're in again. Right? He understands, and therefore, he's able to help us as we are being tempted. And thirdly, we go to a God who guarantees our victory because he has given his life for our sins. You see, Jesus, unlike us, when he was tempted, was faithful. Because Jesus is faithful, we have victory. 
So therefore, we understand that he's a merciful, faithful high priest, and he has made propitiation for the sins of us, his people. That word, that's a, that word propitiation, it's a kind of fancy theological word. He's made atonement. He paid the price. Like he, he, he paid the bill that was due with his perfect life and his undeserved death. And because of that, because he suffered when tempted, he is able to help us. So here we have this picture of a, of a faithful and close and understanding high priest. And here's the thing. Here's, if I could just kind of, kind of wrap all of these together as we uh, close our time together, it's this. And I think it's easy, again, to, to think of God as distant and, 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 and lofty and kind of far off. And we think about the gospel as some kind of abstract thing that if we understand the components and we believe it, that that will then take root and kind of make a difference in our heart or in our life. And one thing you have to understand, church, is that we are not part of, we're not, Jesus has not invited us into kind of a newfound or a new, uh, a new reworked religion. He's invited us to himself, and so you and I, as you came in this morning and you found yourself discouraged, you find yourself isolated, you find yourself alone, you find yourself tempted to sin in the ways that you said you never would again, right? as you find yourself in that place of pain or misunderstanding or confusion, what you're not being invited into by Jesus is a set of laws, regulations, rules, things that you now need to go and do. He's not saying, hey, if you want to get over that, or if you want to get past that, here's, here's you do X, Y, Z, and, and then follow that up with one, two, three, and then you're going to be good. What he's saying is, he's saying, no, if you find yourself in that place, look to me. Look to Jesus. Set your eyes on Jesus. See the way that he suffered. See the way that he was tempted. See the way that he endured. And then recognize that he did it so that you wouldn't have to. See, that's what makes Christianity, that's what makes following Jesus different than any other world religion. Every other religion is going to tell you all the things that you need to do. Whereas Jesus is saying, no, look at all the things that I've already done. Just look to me and trust in me. And as you draw near to me, then you will find that which you're looking for. So church, let's do that together. Let's continue to look to Jesus. We see him as our king who cares. We see him as our hero who conquered, who stepped in when no one else could, no one else would. He's our brother. He's not ashamed to call us his family. And he's our priest who understands our suffering. He understands our temptation. He understands our shortcomings. And he is saying, look at me, come to me, and you will find your rest. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your kindness, your care, your concern for us. Jesus, sometimes we forget just how close you are and how near you are. And so we give you praise, we give you thanks for all the ways, Lord, that you remind us of that. 
even this morning, God, we recognize our own frailty, our own uh, inability, uh, God, to save ourselves or to uh, bring about change ourselves. And so, Lord, instead of trying yet again to do it ourselves, Lord, we look to you and we ask that you would be the one to do it. God, we set our eyes on you. We fix our attention on you. Jesus, you are our savior and you are our king. And so, Lord, we worship you as such. God, we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you thanks in the name of your son, Jesus, amen.